Welcome to Good Life. I'm Dean Wilson. Great program today. Jeff Green is with me. He's the Chief Executive Officer at the Santa Barbara City College Foundation. He's also a nonprofit expert. He's a great guy. We, we, we had a great time. You're going to enjoy it. Jeff Green, The Good Life is next. Welcome to Good Life. I'm Dean Wilson. So glad you've joined us. You can always find us at goodlifetelevision.org, uh, where you can see all the interviews, uh, as well as what we call power clips, which are kind of special moments from all those interviews. There are some great people. Over the last year, we've, we've had a lot of wonderful guests. We've learned a lot uh, from entrepreneurs to young people, uh, public servants, athletes. We've had a little bit of everything. So it's been a lot of fun. We hope you'll join us at goodlifetelevision.org. And I'm so glad to have my guest here today. Uh, Jeff Green is with me. Jeff, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, Jeff is the CEO at the Santa Barbara City College Foundation, uh, which is here, obviously, in Santa Barbara, where we are. And uh, Jeff's had a very interesting kind of journey in, in, in business, specifically the nonprofit world that, that I'm excited to, to unpack. But first of all, just tell me, you grew up in the San Francisco area. Tell me a, kind of yeah. a little bit about your growing up and your family. Certainly. So I, uh, I was yeah, born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, my mom was a sixth grade teacher. Um, actually, a whole lot of folks in my family are teachers. Oh, really? Uh, to this day. Uh, my dad was a juvenile probation officer. Uh, so the joke was I got away with nothing, which was <laughs> only kind of a joke. Um, but uh, yeah, I, gr I grew up there, went to school there uh, through the, the public school system, and then came down to Santa Barbara in uh, 1990 to go to UCSB. So that's what brought me to town. And, and my uh, my full intention and assumption was that this, this was just for college, and I'd head either back north or elsewhere, and uh, some 30 years later, here I am. There you are. So. Well, and, and after college, <coughs> you, you had a dream to, to go to Yosemite um, and be, what, a park ranger. Natural. Yeah, yeah, that was my dream job from the time I can remember. Uh, my parents went there, uh, my grandparents before them, I'm sure even before them. Uh, that was sort of a, a family camping tradition and uh, I, I have a photo I think of when I was six months old standing in front of Yosemite Falls. Really? So that was uh, that was something I loved to do. I thought it was a way to combine um, all the different things I loved and uh, and I thought well if I could be a park ranger that would be that would be perfect and sure enough I had the opportunity to do that in uh, at first as an intern actually. There was an really? intern program organized through the universities and then as a full-time uh, ranger naturalist for a few years uh, and I did that until 1997. Yeah, and then you came to join the Fund for Santa Barbara, is mm -hmm. that right? Yep, yeah, that's what it brought, brought me back. And talk yeah. about that, kind of that season yeah. in your life and your career. Yeah, well, I was, you know, I'm a, I'm a proud generalist. Uh, it's interesting that I work alongside academic specialists because I am, I'm the opposite of that. Uh, and, I, and I, in a friendlier, earlier time, it probably would have been called a renaissance person. But these days, it's just considered unfocused. So <laughs> I... Um, renaissance is better. I, yeah, I like renaissance better. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I really wanted to uh, to do, uh, you know, I loved the educating, public speaking, connecting with people, um, and uh, I had done a lot of different things through my college time too. I got very involved in, in student politics, you know, running for office and sitting on the student senate and uh, associate student president and those sorts of things. I did a lot of volunteer work. I got really interested in solving homelessness and, and housing issues. Um, a lot of environmental work was really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd done a radio show for a while on our KCSB public radio station really? there. Uh, so I, it was just sort of a little bit of everything. And when I was trying to figure out, I, I ultimately decided that coming back to Santa Barbara was what I wanted to do. Um, but the question was how and what yeah. would I possibly do and who would 
pay me to do it. Right. Um, so the Fund for Santa Barbara ended up being the, the place. Um, and it was largely because the, the link between all the things I was really passionate about were what you might broadly call sort of social justice issues. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I wanted to figure out how to solve some of those big problems. Right. And the fund was a hub for that. And they really were a, an, a spot for supporting innovative grassroots, uh, in many cases experiments, in the nonprofit sector. Huh. Uh, and so that's what I... That was before before cell phones, and I remember I you know I had to fax my resume. And oh, right. <laughs> if you remember faxes, I do. I do. Uh, and uh, and then you know have a phone interview and then drive down here and then drive back and wow. Um, but, uh, but that's what yeah that's what brought me back. I want to talk about the Santa Barbara City College Foundation that you lead, um, and kind of maybe start with kind of your vision for that foundation and specifically yeah. the the SPCC promise. Yeah. Sure. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, the, so my I didn't have any experience with community college personally. Uh, well, actually, I say that I, that's not true. I um, I had two things that only later occurred to me. One is that I had taught a course through adult education on um, homelessness and housing policy with a, a co co teacher who was a faculty member at UCSB, and I, I think that was in around the year two thousand. Oh. Um, and then I'd also taken Spanish classes, um, okay. and so I, I had a little bit of experience. But when I, the, the one program I really knew well when I started in 2015 with the SBCC Foundation was called Transitions. And it's only because we funded it as the fund for Santa Barbara. And this is for um, men and women who are incarcerated who want to come back straight into college. Oh. Uh, and so they do prep and enrollment while they're incarcerated so that they can come back and enroll immediately afterwards. Oh. And, uh, and so I was aware of that program. I thought it was fantastic. It was one of the earlier ones in the nation. It's not that uncommon these days, but there's, that was one of the earlier. Um, and so I ultimately found the link between the things I loved and, and this role. Um, but it was, a, it was a strange way to enter. I mean, it was sort of a back and forth with the board at the time about, you know, was this the, what did they want to do? And did I want to be the guy to do it? And, and right. could we work together on, in these ways? Um, so once we, we got there and I got excited about this role, I had a, a lead time of a few months. And during that, uh, President Obama at the time and Governor Bill Haslam, so the, you know, the Democratic president, Republican mm -hmm. governor of Tennessee, mm -hmm. uh, which was in itself was remarkable. There's very little bipartisanship happening. Right. Right. Uh, and, and they did a joint press conference on a thing called the Tennessee Promise. And uh, that was the first time I ever heard the term. And it mm. caught my ear, and I listened to what they were, were promoting. And uh, it wasn't long before I started to hear more and more about that and really dive into that notion. Uh, and uh, there's another funny side note. Uh, Tom Hanks, uh, who I don't have to explain who Tom Hanks is. <laughs> uh, Tom Hanks, when I was growing up as a kid, he'd gone to Chabot College, which was the community college nearest where I grew up in the East Bay Area, in, in Hayward there. Okay. And uh, basically, as in, my, in my region, you had to know three things growing up. You had to know reading, writing, and Tom Hanks went to Chabot. That's what you had to know. <laughs> because, I mean, this is the era where big and all the big right, films come right. up. So, um, so he started, he wrote a couple of pieces, actually. One in particular that, that got circulated widely about the value of community colleges. Mm. And so that was kind of an exciting junction for me between that reality, my memories of being a kid and knowing that he was a community college graduate, uh, and then all of the things that were starting to happen around College Promise. So uh, it was early in my time. I started in February 2015, and within the first few months, I just every conference I went to, there was some conversation about College Promise. And the basic notion is that the idea of universal uh, 
public education for up to high school was was actually a, a fairly controversial debate a hundred years ago in this country. Mm. Um, do, you know, does everybody need it? You know, why why should people go to high school if they can run the family business, the family farm, if they can read and write? Um, and of course, today you push that uh, another four years further, and it's for many people, high school isn't enough for what whatever they right. may want to do. Um, and community college now is the question uh, I think at hand, and, and I think it is the best possible tool for for advancement, whether it be personal. Know, person pursuing your own dreams and building your own skill set or you know families uh, being healthy and having the the income they need or socioeconomic advancement um, right. and frankly anything so the idea is can we as a society pay for every young person who wants to to go to community college for two years wow. uh, and that's what that's the beginning of the idea and what is so where does that go for for you I mean how, how are you pursuing that vision? Well, I, so I ran into, uh, as I said early on, that that was something that was talked about at every conference, every conversation. Uh, and I, of course, I was brand new, learning my, my role. Uh, you know, not new to philanthropy or the community, but certainly new to the community college part of it. And uh, I discovered that there were three predecessors in our state. So in, in California, which has the largest community college system, largest higher ed system in the Western world, um, 116 campuses and colleges now, 72 districts, over 2 wow. million students, a quarter of all community college students in the United States go to a California wow. community college. And uh, there were three in California that had started experiments with what they called the Promise. And the first was actually our neighbor uh, Ventura College. And uh, the second was Long Beach. And the third, which had just happened, was at Cuesta College, our other neighbor to the north. Well, mm -hmm. just jumping over Hancock <laughs> right. uh, to the north. And so um, I, I started to get to know what they were doing, why they were doing it, how they were doing it, and hearing about that model, and, and then looking for something that would solve a bigger issue. And as I said, that was my, my big passion, really, is how do, you, how do you structurally deal with some of the challenges we have in our community? I mean, scholarships are wonderful, but they don't solve the bigger structural problem. They, they help that one student. Mm -hmm. And so this was, to me, an idea of how do you solve the bigger structural problem of affordability and access to college. And so we started asking around, and what we found was that there was a pretty good consensus of what would work and how to do it right, uh, how to do it well, but uh, nobody to that point had done it because it was a very expensive proposition, especially for community colleges, since our philanthropic infrastructure is, is really nascent. It's... I mean, if you think about the, the four-year institutions, the Ivy Leagues, they figured this out 200 years ago. Right. I mean, it's a core part of the institution. Uh, if you look at the four-year public universities, it was really the 80s and 90s um, where they started to build their, their infrastructure for fundraising and development. Uh, and for us, it feels like last Tuesday. You know, <laughs> we, just, we just figured this out, and we're right. still figuring it out. Uh, but the, the value of being at Santa Barbara City College is that we have one of the largest and one of the oldest foundations a, in the nation, actually, for community colleges. Mm. And so the idea of raising two to three million dollars a year for a program like this was not unthinkable. Mm. And so that's really how we started. We started to build it that way. Uh, we leaned on the research and the experiments that had done by, been done by our colleagues before us so that we didn't have to repeat those painful mistakes right, ourselves. Right, right. Wow. Uh, and that's, that's what we launched in 2015. That's that's wonderful. Yeah. This is obviously an interesting environment. Getting seems like it's getting more interesting by the day here in the year 2020. But yeah, <coughs> you, you, I would reading your information mm -hmm. here. I mean, you, you're clearly a, a nonprofit expert or a fundraising professional. You've, you've mm -hmm. been on all these councils and boards. And what is your council? I know that there, there seems like there's kind of a, a buzzword in the nonprofit world in recent years: uh -huh. sustainability. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I know you do a lot of uh, consulting and things like that. How do you mm -hmm. advise nonprofits 
toward a path that is sustainable? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, and yes, that is one of the key issues for nonprofit organizations. I think the first thing, I mean, clarity of mission is always first. So you, you got to know what you're doing, why you're doing it. Um, I'm a I'm a form follows function kind of guy, so I don't I, I don't have any religion about a particular model being the best. But I, I do believe that you have to be clear on what you're doing, and then you build the structure that supports that thing, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and for for nonprofits, it's revenue strategy above all, because that's the thing that you have to figure out um, once you've got your mission clear. Right. Uh, how do you sustain it? How do you make it happen? And and almost as a rule, the more diverse the income stream, the better. So you want to help people figure out what are all the different ways that you can earn those dollars. Uh, and the, the primary reason for that, and this is true in for-profit business as well, is that the, uh, you know, the most sustainable, the most resilient income stream is the one that's the most diverse. And that's because if one of them goes sideways, it doesn't sink you. So you, right. you can lose all of your grant funding or you can lose all of your earned income or you can lose all of your major donor base for a short time and be okay as long as that was only just a piece of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but for those nonprofits that are dependent on one or two grant makers uh, or a handful of donors um, or a very specific single income source that's a, an earned revenue source, uh, that's the most dangerous because you know something's going to happen at some point that's going to that's going to endanger that. And once that does happen, mm. um, you got to be ready with a backup plan. So, so that's a big part of it. Um, the other piece is you know the board structures, and I'm a, I'm a, a kind of a board a board junkie, if you will. Are you? I, I like boards. I actually like working oh, with boards. Uh, that's so wonderful. And I <laughs> and I sit on boards and I, I help other people <laughs> do that. I, and, and it's because it's you know it's one of those volunteer jobs where there's only one reason to be there, and that is that you got to be passionate about that mission. You got to love doing it because um, that's the reward. You know, you're, you're gener- in the nonprofit sector, you're not getting paid to be on a board. Uh, it is a lot of time if you do want to do it well, right. and you have to be an evangelist for the the cause, whatever it may be, out in the community. So, I think that having the right board, having the right overall structure, and the income revenue structure is is the the, the key once you've got the mission clear. That's great. So. And do you do you uh, like advise boards? Is yeah. that part of what you do? Yeah, I do. I mean, so the fund, it was interesting for me, the, the fund, I kind of parlayed my love of, of teaching, and my, at least my version of it, <laughs> uh, alongside my, my passion for the nonprofit sector. And then at the fund, we had a technical assistance program, still very much there and thriving. And, and that's just a, a jargony term for everything but the check. So what, what other support can you offer? And so it was access to resources and teaching and models and all that. And so I started to do a lot of that and just kind of share what I uh, had seen that worked or what I learned or what I knew from experience and that kind of built and built and built and that's ultimately what made me a, a I guess a consultant I'll put that in finger yeah, well quotes. Well no I mean if you're um, an expert you're an expert. I, uh, yeah but but I do love it and that's that was uh, that's where it started so yeah. so I do I, I, pr- I don't do as much as I once did because mm-hmm. the the work with the the foundation is absolutely a full-time job yeah. uh, but I do I, I mean there's a lot of partnerships there you know the, the lines are in my opinion very very gray between what our work is and what these other partners work might be so we yeah. we work with a lot of folks and some of that is is helping and coaching and and mentoring boards I think that's really valuable yeah I mean we have a great board yeah. and I'm so thankful if they're uh-huh. watching uh-huh <laughs> yeah I, I saw that they're watching they, they, they might be watching <laughs> they they are great but I, I was as I've worked with with, with mm-hmm. our board I've realized yep. what you just said, which is the only reason you're there is for love. You yeah. Know, I mean, this is going to yeah. be, there is, That's I mean, there's not a lot of wrecking, there's not a lot of fanfare, not a lot of, right. you know, benefit to this. There's right. no personal benefit. I mean, right. it is purely a service thing and it can yep. be a lot of work. Yeah. And these are the people that have 
the fiduciary responsibility for this that's is right. not the staff. That's right. You know, they have all the responsibility on their shoulders, and yet they're yeah. unpaid total volunteers. Yeah. So that's a tricky. It is. Thing. It's it's where the buck stops, and there is a lot of debate, um, you know, theoretical and, and wonky nonprofit circles about you know does that model still work, and what right. is that. And the, the place I've always started, and usually when I'm doing a training for a new board or a younger board, uh, it's it's to, to kind of frame it in the, the legal framework in which a board exists. And really, it's the tax status. So, so right. and I, you know, we, we can talk about business in a moment here, but I, I'm uh, fond of saying that 501c3 is a tax status, not a business model. Uh, you know, because nonprofits right. are businesses in every right. way. Yeah, uh, I don't think they should be called nonprofits myself. I know. I think they should be called tax-exempt organizations. Well, yeah. I mean, how many organizations define themselves by what they're not? Right. I mean, you don't say how much. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. And if you're a nonprofit, <laughs> you're right. not going to be in business. That's right. So, That's right. So it's I, I'm with you. Let's start right. that. We'll start okay, that campaign. Let's do it. Right I need now. something else to Done. do. Let's right. do that. <laughs> well, I think there's a but there's some really good points there, and, and the the way that the nonprofit sector was. The trade that we make in the nonprofit sector is that by by making the case that our mission is in itself of value. I mean, the idea of taxation is that you, your tax on your on your commerce uh, or your income or all the things we're taxed on because we have to pay into the common good. So whatever that common good that we all want to share the, the cost of. Um, and nonprofits make the case that, that they are the common good, that right. they're basically what they do um, is as valuable as any tax they might pay. And so they're excused from some of their, their taxes. Um, not all, and people forget that. I mean, we're, we're tax-paying organizations. We pay payroll tax right. and a lot of the larger taxes. But uh, the idea is they do that, and then in turn, the, the community, uh, and in the, this case, the people of the state of California, because nonprofits are incorporated by state just like for-profits are, um, have the ob obligation and opportunity to, to basically make sure that they're making good on their mission. And that's really what the board is, is supposed to be is the representatives of the people of the state mm -hmm. to govern and make sure that the nonprofit is doing what it says. Right. Um, and so it, it is an unusual dynamic, yeah. uh, especially when you have a long time or a founding executive <laughs> director. Uh, nobody's ever gonna know more about that work than that person, and yet they, res they report to and, and ultimately are, are uh, governed by a, a board of directors of, of volunteers. Right. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a funny dance, <laughs> it to is. be sure. That, that, no, that's for sure. <laughs> you've had an interest in in homelessness. Yes, and I know you've yes. you've been involved in the efforts here locally for a long time. Mm -hmm. Talk about kind of that that interest and also the progress we've made, and kind of where you see it going from here. Yeah, I, you know, so I'll, I'll be very clear. I I think housing is a human right. I think we all deserve safe shelter of some kind mm -hmm. um, and it is you know and for most people fortunately they they do that through their ability to, to earn an income and, and pay for housing on the open market um, but for others who can't uh, for any number of reasons I think one of the things that we're um, called to do as a as a community as a society is figure out okay so then what um, and uh, I have been really interested in that because it's the most expensive piece of our living arrangement for everybody. I mean, housing right. usually is the biggest piece of what you pay right. for. Right. Um, and so there's no easy solution because you can't just do it in a, in a quick quick way. Um, and, and of course, shelter, emergency shelter beds are critical, but they don't solve the bigger problem. Um, so how do you put that system together? So someone who, who's on the street has a place to go on a, on a cold night, which people can identify with generally. Um, you know, the soup kitchen model, the shelter bed model. But then ultimately, what, so where do they go from there? What do you need to, to get there? And I think there's been a lot of really smart, um, good experiments, and there are hundreds of thousands, there's thousands of people um, committed to this work. 
but it's telling that we've not solved it. Right. Uh, so 10 years, uh, well, <laughs> I shouldn't say 10 years ago. I think it was now 12 to 13 years ago, there was a 10-year plan to end chronic homelessness. And this was a wave of things that came out. Um, the, uh, the Bush administration had a, a program at a national level that had pushed this notion of, of a 10-year plan to end chronic homelessness. And so a lot of communities signed on to that. There was federal funding for it. And, and in our community was one of them. And I was part of this group of, I think, 40 people that crafted this, this plan. And if you read the plan today, it's a, it's a smart plan. It still holds up. Mm. Um, but the fact is we didn't do it. And, and the reason is we didn't commit the necessary resources. Mm. Uh, and that happens time and time again, place after place. Uh, there's, a, there's a moment where people's eyes are on the issue um, and then it drifts. And so I think political will and philanthropic consistency are the two biggest challenges. So money was the yeah, problem. I think money and political focus. I mean, it, it's not a sexy issue. It's, it's a hard right. one to it's deal with, especially if you see it up close. So, so there's those moments where you hear about something. Um, and then, of course, there's the flip side of the issue, which is where people don't want someone who's you know, been living on the streets for a month on their front doorstep. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they feel like this is an invasion of my space or my property or my privacy. Um, or just it's an unpleasant reminder of the reality of, of what our community really is made up of. And so, yeah. um, so we have to balance the notion of, of making sure that our public spaces are clean and safe, um, but with offering real shelter. Because you, you if you move people on, you don't solve the problem. And we've seen that time and time again. People have been shooed away from, from uh, places, and in some cases legitimately so. I'm not suggesting folks should just say, oh, okay, well, there's nowhere to sleep, so you might as well sleep here. Um, but we have to remember that it's, in, in, I mean, the, the homelessness epidemic is tied with a, a mental health crisis. Right. Um, it's tied with our wealth inequality. Uh, it's tied, and income inequality, in the kind, which of course we know has been growing. Um, and it's tied with a whole range of other things that, um, frankly, it's really costly to do it the way we do it now. Um, and there were from some stories, it was probably five, six years ago, you know, Million Dollar Murray and these sort of headlines that caught everybody's eye that said that, you know, if you actually calculate the cost of caring for someone who has no shelter, their time in and out of jail, their time in and out of rehab, their time in and out of hospitals and emergency rooms, it is a really expensive way to live. And, uh, and so what they, they made the economic argument. So even if the moral imperative or the social imperative or anything else enough. wasn't enough, right. you could make that economic argument that it's actually cheaper to just house everybody. And the sort of the housing first model was Yeah, I was just created. gonna ask you about that. Yeah. The housing first model kind of became a, yeah. a thing. Yeah. I, I've seen that in the apartment complex we had in Dallas mm -hmm. where we had a permanent we had 488 units in one complex. This yeah. is, everything's big in Texas. Yep. 488 <laughs> units. Uh, 70 of them, or some, somewhere around 70 of them, were a permanent supportive housing yeah. for chronically homeless. They had to be chronically homeless with a disability, which yeah. could be alcoholism. Yeah. Could be. But if you had those two things mm -hmm. and you submitted to the program, which yeah. included testing, you had a caseworker, mm -hmm. it was permanent. Yeah. And it, I thought it worked well. That's brilliant. I mean, it was now, now unfortunately, there's not a lot of complexes, you know, like like we were. We were kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And we, you know, it was it, but but I but I saw the housing part where you put a roof over somebody's head, and we of course we have a bed for them and a couch, and that then it gave you a shot mm -hmm. at answering some of the other. Exactly. It gave you a shot exactly. at the mental health. Gave, yeah. I mean, 
Have you seen it? I mean, I'm sure you've seen it work. Yeah, well, that, that's exactly the model. And I, and I don't think there's any question left about is, is that the right way. It is, it is the only way that's worked at a, at a large scale, which is you can deliver services uh, endlessly, but if someone doesn't have a stable roof and a right. home and a, and a bed, uh, you're never going to get past that first step. But if you can first house somebody and then deliver whatever supports they need on site, yeah. uh, and it's just not that expensive compared to the cost of keeping someone homeless. Right. So in, in our community, I mean, you asked about here, I, I will say we have one of the best run, and I just, I just retired, I'm kind of biased, I just <laughs> retired from another volunteer job. Uh, <laughs> but I, I spent 12 years on the commission for the housing authority for the city of Santa Barbara. Okay. Um, in fact, ju- my last meeting was just last week. Oh, really? Uh, and I, I have so much respect for that crew. I mean, it's led right now by, by Rob uh, Fredericks and mm-hmm. his team, and, uh, and they do it right. They just do it right, and they've done it for, for over 50 years. Um, so we have a great model of how it can work. We also have an incredible nonprofit uh, group. I mean, you have Transition House for, for families mm-hmm. experience homelessness. You have the Rescue Mission. Uh, you have PATH, which is formerly the Cacique Shelter, formerly um, Casa Esperanza. Um, right. And so each of them do a piece of the puzzle. The problem, again, is scale, and we, just, we don't have enough beds, and we don't have enough infrastructure um, to, to do it for everyone that needs it. And so mm-hmm. that's really the, the question on the table. You may have seen Los Angeles a couple of years ago passed a, a pair of measures that actually uh, funded funded homeless services at a, at a remarkable level. Um, but you can see today, even that doesn't, the money alone doesn't solve the problem. Mm-hmm. So it, it's huge, it's complex, I think it's critical. And I, to this day, it was one of the first issues I got involved with, but I would say if, if I had to pick what's the most critical, um, that would be in the, the top top two. Top yeah. three, maybe. Yeah. You do a lot, so I, I was, I was reading. It took me a while, yeah. uh, but what what drives you? I mean, I, I, I honestly, I don't know if I've read about somebody your age who's yeah. kind of done <laughs> this much, <laughs> and a lot of it's volunteer leadership. Uh-huh. But what what gets you up in the morning? I mean, why do you, why why do you do all this? Uh, that's a fair question. I, I think. And I don't mean this to sound trite, but I, you know, I grew up, I, I never worried about all these things that I work on. You know, I grew up, I have a wonderful family, didn't worry about, have a roof over my head, food, had great schools. Um, you know, I feel like, you know, what's the, the saying to those to whom much is given, much uh-huh. is expected? Right. I mean, it's, it's that notion of paying it forward or however you phrase that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I enjoy it because I like, personally, my, what I get out of it is the experience of seeing something work. So I, I like the, the challenge of seeing a problem and trying to fix it in some manner or figure out a solution, either something that hasn't been tried before or something that's only been tried at a small scale and can you do it bigger. Um, and I think that's a very human thing. I think there's a lot, a lot of us get satisfaction out yeah, of, of doing true. good, fixing a problem. Uh, and I, I tend to be a glass half full person on, on virtually everything. Um, including philanthropy, and maybe that's why I ended up accidentally doing the fundraising side of the work. And, and most fundraisers are accidental, in case you haven't, uh, right, haven't heard yeah, us say right, that before. Yeah. Very few five-year-olds say, I want to be a fundraiser <laughs> when I grow up. Right. Um, but I do think that that's a part of it, is that it, it beca- once you learn that that's the tool for all of this, you know, money yeah. is the, just the right. tool. It's, right. That's what it's for. Right. Uh, and if you can fundraise, there's a lot of people out there with plenty. And that's one of the, the interesting things of our, and really one, I think one of the tragedies of our moment is that there are so many people with so much um, at the same time that there's more and more people with so little and right. not enough. And so bridging that, uh, you know, philanthropy isn't the solution in itself. There's a lot of things that go into how do you make that more equal so that everyone has a fair shot. Um, but it can be a, a starter, and, and philanthropy can be the, the venture capital, if you will, to, to try something out. 
uh, in the nonprofit side right. that otherwise might not have happened. And I, I love the sector because it's, uh, you know, and I, this is probably not entirely fair to say this, but, <laughs> but if, you know, if government, you can't get the p political will. So if to do something through a governmental structure of any level, federal, local, you name it, you have to have the political will. Mm -hmm. If you can't build the political will, it's a non-starter. Um, to do it in the for-profit sector, you have to have a profit model. So right. you have to be making money somehow. Mm -hmm. And if there's a problem that needs to be solved, but you can't figure out how to make money from it, it's, it's a non-starter. So in between those two spaces is where the nonprofit sector mm -hmm. lives, and, and it sort of draws from both. So you build political will among enough people want, that want to give, uh, and, you, and institutions, and you build, build uh, you know, a model where you can generate enough revenue to, to get it going, and that's right. where the nonprofit sector lives. And if you can do it in a sustainable way, you yeah. can make a big difference. You can build on it. And if we think about the successful institutions in our community, most of them started as fairly radical nonprofit notions. <laughs> I mean, they yeah. were this, this little idea that probably right. a whole lot of people said, eh, I don't think that's going to work, right. Bob. <laughs> uh, but here we are. So, right. uh, so that's, that's the satisfaction. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, we're out of time already. Yeah. Jeff oh. Green for president. <laughs> Jeff Green for president. <laughs> That's not a job I'm seeking, but thank you. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. Thanks for what you've done for the community, seriously. Thank you. It's, thank uh, you. This has been a lot of fun. It. Yeah, I appreciate it. And we'll see you next time.